Hello. <laughs> Grace and peace. We're taking anarchy to church here on the Anarchist Bible Study. I'm Josh, a.k.a. Ioan Cap. And I'm Jeff Park, a.k.a. Captain Albertica. Captain Albertica. <laughs> All right. Well done. I, I came prepared for a very special Memorial Day episode. Um, that's to... right. It, that's right. It's the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend, or as the Democrats like to call it now, the long weekend. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was really, it's funny because I'm, I'm no particular lover of Memorial Day because a lot of times for me it's it's associated with people expecting me to have patriotic hymns on a church day um which I'm not a fan of myself but it's like it is so fascinating that they did they just they just it's like all of them decided they're gonna call it the long weekend now no one's calling it Memorial Day which um I'm I mean okay Well, you know, July 4th used to be like Independence Day used to be used to be partisan because the statists wanted to celebrate it as Washington's birthday. And right. uh, and it was the it was the liberty minded Jeffersonian types who uh, wanted to celebrate it as just Independence Day. So, yeah. so you know, bifurcating our holiday, uh, our uh, your and and uh, by extension, your vassal states also celebrate your holidays. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is why we should also celebrate the Chinese holidays. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, being, being part vassal state of each of you, um, but uh, <laughs> but mostly of mostly of you. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, bifurcating who uh, the different parties celebrating different different holidays, calling them different things, has a grand tradition um, <laughs> in the United States. So um, yeah. Why? Why stop now? Right. Well, um, yeah, right before we hit play, we decided we should uh, not waste all of our good stuff on uh, on talking off the air. So uh, (laughs) we're uh, we're here. um, We're doing this uh, Memorial Day. It's it's a good it's a good uh, it's it's a good excuse to just uh, enjoy some time off. I'm, I'm not taking the day off. Uh, I, I actually am working, um, but, uh, but you know, it's, 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 I, 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 I think, uh, there's a, there's a tradition of on, on even our flyover page that I tend to write something on veterans day and Memorial day, some kind of a long blog post, uh, thinking about it and, and, uh, meditating on the meaning of Memorial day from a, uh, a more libertarian perspective and uh, I'll probably write up something. I'm sure you can look for that. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, we, we've got some uh, so, some things going on in our world uh, this weekend. Uh, what, do, what do you got going on in your world? How, you, how are you spending your long weekend? Well, we have a reopening plan here in Alberta, <laughs> which... <laughs> And and the first the first phase of the reopening plan seems to be stop arresting pastors. So that worked out well for us. Hey. Um, <laughs> um, so, AKA uh, that AKA they decided that the uh, uh, negative press was not worth uh, <laughs> the control. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, and and like <laughs> the 
obvious lack of control <laughs> that was exhibited yeah. and like yeah. continues to be exhibited. Like, yeah, I think that, I think that's the, uh, um, uh, I think, I think they were losing hold of the narrative. Um, yeah. and I think they, I think they would rather, um, I think they would rather take a hit, um, for, so they've decided now that the opposition expressing concern about reopening too fast that they can they can paint them as like vaccine deniers because <laughs> oh vaccines work don't you know vaccines work is yeah people are yeah. people are going to be so vaccinated so we're going to reopen um and uh and so uh yeah anyway the uh <laughs> so they've decided they've decided that they uh um to to stop trying to uh uh please no one <laughs> by going down the middle um, mm -hmm. between two irreconcilable uh, yeah. political positions and uh, uh, which was getting more and more untenable every day um, yeah. and, uh, and just uh, and just actually and I think I think this time they will follow so we've had a reopening plan before by the way <laughs> and and they just and it, and it had to do it was based on hospitalizations and they just completely tossed it paid no attention to it whatsoever started going backwards and relocking down when we when when based on their based on the hospitalization numbers we should have been opening up even more um and uh and so now now it's a reopening plan based on vaccinations but also just based on we're going to have the calgary stampede <laughs> mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so there's the deadline. <laughs> there's yeah. going to be a giant outdoor party on uh very beginning of July. So work backwards from that, guys. <laughs> um, yeah. Really yep. seems like what yep. there. So Yeah, it's it's like uh, the the government is one long exercise uh in um uh actions requiring a justification. You know, yeah. like it's it's just that is what it is. Just th this is going to happen. Let's find a way to justify it. Oh, vaccines. How about that? Yeah. The state is one giant just so story to itself. So the yeah. fact that it constantly generates just so stories um, uh, should not be terribly surprising. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I want to thank. Uh, so so uh, just a personal note. I want to thank the people who have been uh, praying for my sister. Um, she's, uh, she's currently in the hospital. I'm dealing with the sickness. Um, some people were wondering what that, what it was. I, I wasn't clear about that in my, my tweet, but that's, that's what happened. Um, she had, she, she's been hit pretty hard with it. Um, whole bunch of possible explanations as to why, but the big one is that she was pregnant and so her body's trying to do double time. Well, uh, uh, she, they, they, uh, delivered the baby um, as an, an emergency delivery, but the baby and mother are both stable. And uh, but it's just it's one long series of sucky circumstances. Even even still, you know, um, this whole world has just become so much harder to live in and deal with. And and it's a uh, it's still so frustrating and confusing and annoying. And we're all just uh, yeah. It's, it's all, it's real. it's been really hard. And so I want to thank all the people who've been praying for, for my family and for me. Um, 
and uh, things things seem to be looking up. And uh, I know that um, I know that uh, uh, Iowan Cap sister. I don't know what to call her on here. She she does sometimes tune into our uh, podcast stuff, so maybe she's uh, she'll see this someday. But um, she'll uh, you know. I hope she knows that that or and I'm sure I'll tell her that many Liberty Twitter and uh, reformed Twitter as my site as my Twitter feed is is kind of an overlap. Uh, we're all um, praying for her and um, yeah, things seem to be things seem to be on the up. So appreciate that. Um, yeah, well, I don't I don't I, I think she'll be watching again soon because one of the taglines we discussed uh, for the show before uh, sort of backing into taking anarchy to church was the anarchist Bible study mildly better than a crying baby. So I, I can't see I can't see why she shouldn't be listening soon. <laughs> it, it isn't that. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, also, uh, cross promotional stuff. Um, of course, we are the anarchist Bible study. We are a a. Uh, affiliate uh podcast of the flyover libertarian network um flyover libertarian if, if, if you're if you're unaware i think i think the crossover is pretty uh complete but if you're unaware that's a a, a, uh, a facebook page turn podcast that was started by myself and the rural rothbard and uh was recently not recently it's been about it's been a while has been joined by uh darabelli our bitcoin expert and and now i guess we could say jeff i mean you you're part of you're part of the team now not part of that podcast but you're part of the team uh (laughs) but we are yeah sure so yeah you know flyover libertarian adjacent at least uh (laughs) but but we uh we we have a um we'll do some cross sorry so cross promotion on that um we uh, have a new episode coming up. I don't know when. Um, we we we've recorded a couple episodes recently. Um, we don't have a calendar. It's kind of mostly whenever we can get together, uh, the three of us. Uh, we record, um, and uh, we recently recorded a podcast together on uh, the subject of the Mises Caucus and on kind of political involvement in general. Is what what it really was. Um, uh, we've got three of us are all three of us are in varying degrees of excitement about uh the Mises caucus uh from me who who's actually in in the caucus and and doing things with it uh, i'm a, technically an organizer with it um and uh all the way to darabelli who is like i i don't even know why i bother voting um and so uh we, we had a good conversation i think about that and that's coming out i don't know when it's going to be coming out uh but i think uh, Rural Rothbard's been working hard editing that, but we also just interviewed uh, this last Monday uh, a gentleman named Control Pew, who is a 3D printer of Nerf guns, and uh, <laughs> but he's got a, a website Control Pew. I actually I think if you Google it, you should be able to find it. I think it's but he's on he's on the Twitter at Control C T R L pew or something like that um but he's also um really interesting guy and we had a really good conversation with him um i I love getting to talk to these crypto anarchist guys because i know nothing about it that's so out of my sphere 
And so uh, I, I always have a lot of questions, and they're always really interesting people. Um, so look for those two uh, episodes coming soon from the Flower of Libertarian podcast. Um, and uh, and yeah, I think that's that's about it. I, I've got nothing else going on. Uh, <laughs> um, so what we're doing tonight, uh, we are taking a break from the book of revelation so we can study. Um, I've actually studied the first section of the next two chapters. Uh, I just got done studying, did, did some study time yesterday and, uh, boy, is that going to be a long episode? Uh, but, uh, <laughs> But we, uh, but yeah, we, we got some, uh, oh, also I should mention this. Oh, sorry. Before we move on, uh, the, if you were listening to the live stream, you were listening to Dogwood. The album is seismic. I love Dogwood. The, here's what a Dogwood was a band that I, I didn't listen to them when they came out. I listened to them long, uh, long after the fact. Um, I discovered them while I was, uh, I used to get into kind of obscure Christian music. Uh, and I was listening to them and I, at first I kind of hated them because it was just like really dirty vocals and dirty guitars. And, and it, uh, it really kind of, you know, like dirty punk sound. Uh, and at first I hated it, but the more I listened to it, the more I was like, the more it grew on me, kind of like fungus. And, uh, but, but now I love it. So I hope you enjoyed it. And if you uh, are interested in it, we will link the album in, in the description. So go listen to some, uh, some old school Christian punk. So that's on brand. Um, and sorry. Anyway, so we're going to, like I said, we are taking a break from, uh, the book of revelation to yeah, watch exciting announcement. Anarchist Bible study has been renewed for season two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Be, right. Being the only and therefore the best weekly anarchist Bible study, uh, the, <laughs> the, the, um, the head honchos at the Flyover Libertarian Network decided to renew us for a second season. Yeah. <laughs> so, yep. Um, and and here we are to uh, mark the inexorable march to towards a second season and your inevitable death um, by uh, doing these uh, this in between episode. Yeah, and uh, this is the, it's, as is our way. We uh, we take our breaks by responding to uh, either videos from a Christian perspective taking on anarchy or libertarianism, which has been all we've done so far. Uh, but this week we have our first foray into the second type of video, which is libertarian objections to Christianity. Um, and, and libertarian we're using in a slightly um, loose way. From what I understand, but the 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 arguments that he uses, I I don't know if he would call himself a libertarian. Maybe he would, uh, but the uh, the arguments he uh, I I watched a few of his other videos just to get a sense of where he was coming from, and and it um, he seems very very devoted to like the founding vision of the United States, but oh. which might I you know mileage may vary on that, but. Um, yeah libertarian ish uh, libertarian ish um but certainly the arguments he uses in this video are arguments i have heard as libertarian objections to christianity mm. and and really he he kind of ticked off what i would say are most of the major arguments i've heard um not not to say that there aren't better versions of these 
arguments available, but at least he broadly ticked off several of the major major ones yeah. that I've heard. So I I, I thought sure. this was a this was a good one to respond to. Yeah, and as is tradition, uh, Jeff has seen it. I have not, so I'm I'm reacting cold to this whole thing, and uh, yeah. And, and so, I don't uh, think Randy even knows we're recording. So yeah, so. Randy's still asleep. Uh, <laughs> you know. He's like Sunday fun day. So he's out joy riding. Um, (laughs) But uh, as, as we said before, if you have, if you know of any videos that you would like us to respond to, um, you can always comment them or uh, send us an email at the anarchist Bible Bible study at gmail.com. No, no, the anarchist Bible study at gmail.com. Uh, someday I'll get it. Well, you know, maybe I won't. Maybe this is, maybe it's better. Uh, yeah. Or, so leave a comment or, uh, or some, something, and we will get back to it. Um, let's see. Oh, we do have, by the by, there's a few we comments was, that I'm, I'm on the air. About. I was going to, yeah. We do have a whoop. Sorry, Mike. Um, we do have a a, a comment from uh, from Patrick on our uh, on our last video. If you, if you would like to, yeah, respond. that's up to you. I should have mentioned that before we started recording. But uh, we, you know, look, complain about Randy. You get the email wrong on our production meetings. This is kind of our thing, and so why yeah, why yeah, should we change? Yeah. Well, if you know. <laughs> If it worked well enough to get us renewed for a second season, we might as well. You know, if Randy was better at doing his job, we would have looked at this beforehand. So um, before we go to the video, so we are going to respond to comments. But but before that, I want to say if you have if you want, if there's a video that you know of from either perspective, either a Christian video critiquing libertarianism or a libertarian video critiquing Christianity, uh, send it our way. Uh, We might respond to it um, if we need a, a study break or if we just need a break. Um, we'll take some time and respond to it. Well, um, and, and yeah, and also, I, I mean, I, I think, I think we would take uh, suggestions for people we would interview. That's the other thing that we, yes, uh, yes, who can, who can bring their own, their own sort of Bible study, um, their own yeah. sort of prepared Bible study to uh, uh, fill these in between times. That's the main thing that we intended for these in between times, um, but. Uh, um, I, I guess I guess I insisted that we uh, record whether we had someone to interview or not, which is how we started doing these uh, <laughs> these video <Yep>. reviews. <laughs> yep. And uh, <clears throat> um, and so uh, uh, so it, yes, if you have if you have people, you know, if you if 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 you suggest that we should interview ron paul that he might have interesting thoughts then thank you but you know screw you because we can't get ron paul quite yet i mean if you can get ron paul then go ahead and suggest him but uh yeah if you provide us access to the great one we will interview him absolutely but we're we're gonna turn down but uh let's um, just be a little more realistic here guys i just just thought as soon as as soon as I said, as soon as I said, if you have suggestions for people for us, say I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I know how this is gonna go. We're gonna be getting emails <laughs> <laughs> suggesting, like, <laughs> uh, uh, like, yeah, hey, hey <laughs> uh, this, 
this this person who's like super uh, super busy doing all kinds of things for the Liberty movement, like Tom Woods. You should interview Tom Woods. Yeah, no, I don't think um, uh, so. You know, you, you know, you, you probably have the idea kind of what our speed is at the moment. And, uh, you yeah. know, we, I'm sure uh, um, I'm sure it'll only grow. But um, uh, but uh, but yes, for now, not accepting uh suggestions for um yeah the, like the top three people you would google and find yeah under Arian. Um, but other than that <laughs> yeah but it, yeah like like people who you think would have a good interaction with us like you know that that would be yeah um yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh yeah uh so patrick uh our good friend from cave to the cross apologetics who was on episodes Seven and eight. Seven and eight. <laughs> I think it was something eight like that. Well, yeah, just just search, just search. Uh, just go go to our playlist of guest episodes. He was the first one. Um, I think it was he, eight and nine because I think Bruxy was. That, seven. that might be right. Um, anyway, he he asked. He said more of a request that doesn't need to be fulfilled in the future. Would you two pres- present a short definition of each other? Each of the other interpretive models of the end times. And if I found favor in your eyes, any positives you see from the other models and what you see as the ultimate negative aspect. Um, he comments reformed perspective seems to be mostly a mill or post mill, but then the leaky dispies like Mark MacArthur come into play too. Um, uh, and he says, love you both. But that kind of felt self aggrandizing to write. Um, uh, but, uh, okay. So, uh, by and large, okay. So what we're mostly what he's mostly referring to is millennial views, um, which tend to have something to say about end time views. Like, we, we, I mean, you can get into a lot of things. Like end times views. Like, do you mean when? So there's sort of two two conversations when it comes to end times views. Largely has to do with when does the tribulation? How does the tribulation relate to the return of Christ? For that, you've got pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, which refers to pre-trib means Christ returns before the tribulation. That is the view of the dispensationalists of both the classic school and most of the, uh, what I think they call themselves progressive dispensationalists. Um, That um, Christ comes before the tribulation, takes his church out of there in a secret rapture, or maybe not so secret. I've even heard some people say not so secret rapture. Like everyone's going to know what's going on. But, um, which I don't know how that works. But, um, but a, a, a rapture that happens, and by I guess by secret rapture, we should define what that means. It means it's not going to be Christ coming with a trumpet sound and raising, and everyone coming out uh, up That's to not usher the him in the return. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So Christ returns in the sense of comes back to take back his people and they will be removed from the intense tribulation, maybe seven years, maybe they'll allow for a non-literal seven years, but just a period of time that will happen where there'll be tribulation um, before Christ returns to full, to finally put an end. And then, then comes the millennial reign, which again, we'll come back to that. Um, the mid-tribulation view is that Christ will return in the middle of the tribulation 
take out his people. And that's really what we mean is the, when's the rapture going to come? Christ comes, takes up his people in the rapture. And then there's more tribulation after they're taken out of the view. I, that's not a super popular view. In fact, I don't even know that I could come up with a, a teacher off the top of my head who, who teaches a mid tribulation rapture. Um, uh, it, it just I just don't know a lot of people. Those, those those who do tend to call it like pre wrath. I've had a couple um, pre wrath. Okay, so okay, um, and 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 they and and so they'll they'll say yeah if you're doing that like the the terminology that makes it makes it clear where it fits in these views then sure mid trip uh-huh. but they like to call it pre wrath that that in the in the middle of the in the middle of the tribulation of the great tribulation, there's going to be this, this even more intensifying of the wrath of the lamb. Yeah. Um, then the but, last, it, so, so that and, maybe the first three and a half years yeah. is great tribulation, but the last three and a half years is the sure. wrath of the lamb. Most dispensationalists sure. actually agree and, on that. And, and they'll yeah. say that before, before that, before people are crying out for rocks to fall on them, Jesus yeah. comes back. And the last view is the post-tribulation rapture and um, would be that Christ will take up his people after the tribulation. And um, this is what complicates things, is that there's some people who will take the rapture as seven years view, and some people who will, like myself, take the rapture as the time period between Christ's... between What's that? The tribulation being seven years versus the tribulation being, you said the, Did I say you rapture. Said the rapture. Okay, uh, the, <laughs> let let the reader understand. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> between the tribulation being a seven year time period and the set and the tribulation being the time period between the fall of Jerusalem and Christ's final consummation of all things. So, um, so a post trib. Uh, I don't know of a lot of people who are post-trib seven years. Um, but those of us... Okay, so sometimes reformed types or non-dispensational types will go over the top and say, we don't believe in a rapture. Well, if you define the rapture as what's happening in uh, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, um, when Christ returns and the people are taken up in the clouds. No, no, no. We all believe in that. We believe that sure. we are going to be taken up in the clouds. The difference is um, we would take that as not a reference to something like we're going to rise up and we're going to hang out there in the clouds until Christ takes us back to earth. We are going to meet him as he's coming. And so it is, it's not a, a rapture in the sense of we're taken up and then we wait for a time until we come back. It is a rapture in the sense of the trumpet sounds, Christ returns, we all come to meet him in the clouds as he's coming back. So we're going to join him in his return. So that's, the, that's what we mean by the rapture. Excellent book, the excellent book, Paul and the Parousia, um, makes this case most persuasively of anything I've read. Yes. Um, I forget the name of the author because I... Okay, I I, I didn't know. come that prepared. Why would I? Um, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, why would you come prepared to answer questions from our audience? 
Yeah, <laughs> no, um, yeah. So, uh, but the excellent book Paul and the Parousia makes yeah. that case most persuasively that it that uh, sure. that that this this language doesn't allow for um, Jesus being the one who turns around and brings people mm-hmm. back into the clouds with him, or for us yeah. staying in the clouds, but that it, uh, the idea of meeting is yeah. that we'll be in the air and then return to the earth immediately. I think okay, and and he asked if we could give what we appreciate about these each views. Well, okay, so here's my appreciation of the post review. I appreciate that it's correct, um, <laughs> but I appreciate about the mid trip and the pre trip views. Um, what what do I appreciate about them? Um, it's hard for me to come up with because I have known so many crazies. And I myself come out of it, and so I kind of view it as my rearview mirror. Like, I left that place. Um, <clears throat> however, my experience with these mid-trib and pre-trib people is that they are very um, they're very serious about the words of Scripture. Yes. And I do appreciate that. I do appreciate that. Um, that's, that's how I was raised, and so I was raised to love the words of Scripture. Uh, I think... I think it's incorrect. The millennial views are a little bit more complicated, I would say. Uh, and it's hard. So I can interject here and say. Oh, that, sorry, sorry, that, sorry, sorry. That was also that was also my upbringing, and and that was what I was going to say, but <laughs> as well as that is that um, uh, there is it, what I appreciate about it is that they're they're really trying to um, take all of scripture into account. And be able yes, to yes. be able to tell you this is what this means and how this relates to this verse and and uh, uh, and here's how we understand this because of Daniel yeah. and like the 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 level of depth that that yes. we are going into is really only possible because these guys have been doing this. Um, well, for yeah, years, and then, and then, and then, yeah. I would say, I would say that even better scholarship has come along since then. <laughs> um, yeah. To uh, well, but, yeah, absolutely. I think that's so true. Like the, the thing is, so many of us try to read Revelation. Um, so many people, not of the dispensational or of the response to dispensationalist uh, views uh, spend, they don't spend a lot of time thinking about the cross referencing that goes on in the book of revelation. There is immense amount of, of cross referencing and illusions uh, like as, as you've, as I'm sure if you've been following along with us, I've already seen like we're through the first chapter and we cannot go a couple verses without jumping back to some other, um, prophetic or apocalyptic um, writing because uh, he, he is a scripture man. Like clearly John was a man of scripture. And and by the way, that, that goes for the gospel of John as well. Like we don't, we, we read it sometimes just as a straight self-contained thing, but you've got lots of scriptural allusions, scriptural allusions in the gospel of John as well. And, and, uh, and like you said, I think those of us who are not dispensationalists, uh, I think for many years they got lazy 
um, not spending time in the book of Daniel, not spending time in the book of Zechariah or watching the way that the two, the revelation builds on that tradition um, until the dispensationalists forced us to. And right. so I think that's, that's a great point to think about. Yeah. Well, the, so we both adopt a very Christocentric reading of the old covenant scriptures. And, and, and I believe that's correct. What it can also do, though, along with making you correct, yeah. it can make you lazy. <laughs> yes. Because, because oh, yes. if everything is about Christ, you can just smooth over all the original yes. meaning, all the original languages, and all the and all the um, historical background, and 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 well, I, and, and and link this to the New so Testament true. for me, and finish the sermon, right? So true. And, and how many, how many, how many sermons have you had to listen to from a Christocentric reformedish preacher who is reading an old Testament passage and then, Oh, there's blood, blood of Christ done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's, it happens. Like you, you, you get uncomfortable because you know who you're, you know, the people who do that. And so you're listening to a passage like, Oh crap, there's blood in this passage. He's going to just, that's <laughs> going to be the only jump. And it's so true. Go on. Sorry. I, that I think was my point. Uh, and, yeah. And, um, yeah. So and and so, like our generation needed the Graham Goldsworthies and yes. Um, oh, and by the way, the the person I was thinking of who wrote Paul and the Parousia is Joseph Plednik. Um, okay. And uh, and our uh, uh, but our generation needed the Graham Goldsworthies and the uh, yeah. uh, and Voss. Uh, uh, and and Herman and the GK Beals, um, GK Beale, yep. Um, to to drive us back to the and the D. A. Carson certainly uh, yes. was a great popularizer of this, um, and and yeah. did academic work in his own right. And a scholar in uh, his own, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and so uh, that was absolutely necessary for our generation. And then I think our kids' generation are going to need someone to come back and force them back to the original context because we we grew up being hammered with the original context and then we needed to learn to read christologically yes um and i think my kids are growing up reading christologically and they're going to need to get yes. hammered with yes this is how you read it in the original it's, context isn't that such a pendulum though that's the pendulum is that we sometimes we so often it's so tempting to swing off the other end um, like I saw the same thing with my generation and gospel centeredness is that, um, you know, that we cannot be saved by morals. We cannot be saved by morals. We cannot be saved by morals. And then I overheard a, a student in my youth group, um, kind of like I've, I've overheard students in my youth group talking about morality and being like, what, you know, that's a sin, right? Like, and, and I, like I've, I've said like, that's a sin. What you're talking about right now is a sin. And they're like, What? What do you mean? It's a sin. And I just suddenly like realized in that moment, like, Oh my gosh, I have swung so far the other direction. Like mm. so much of like, let's focus on the gospel. Let's focus on who Jesus is. Let's focus on who God is. And I've missed like, Oh my gosh, they don't even know what sin is. And so like we, we, we do this so often of, of this swinging of pendulums. And we ought, we, we need to be careful of that, that when in our reaction to something wrong, we don't become something worse in our reaction to legalism. We cannot become antinomian uh, in, in our response to, to the hyper moralistic and um, hyper 
original context view of the Old Testament, we cannot become Christ allegorical, Christ allegorizers, <laughs> right? We cannot allegorize the text. Is just the only thing that matters is if we can find Jesus somehow in there. No, no, no. We need to get the original text and then see it on the on the continuum over to. Uh, who Christ is, and I've always, I've, I've often said, like we, we also need to expand the ways that we'll find Jesus in the text. Like, uh, it's not just about types. Like, types and shadows are important. It's not just uh, like, like it seems like the dispensationalists only find Jesus when there's a prophecy, some kind of a prophecy. The uh, reform types only see Jesus if there's some kind of a type or a shadow, which we can. You, that can be overdone so easily. But I think there's also a third category of, of attention. Sometimes, and, and I think that's where, where Paul found Jesus in a lot of the law, was there's tensions created in the Old Testament that only Jesus can satisfy. Or can, only Jesus can, um, can, can, yeah, can, can ease that tension or can satisfy, fulfill the tension. Like um, the tension of, of Jesus, of God's self revelation in exodus 34 where he says he is uh, merciful and compassionate and and uh passing over sins and yet he will not he will not uh he will not fail to punish the guilty well wait how can you be both how can he be merciful passing over sins and also he must punish the guilty well christ is the only way to solve that tension it was on the cross where he was merciful and he punished sin and he punished the guilt of, of sin. Um, and, and I think we need to, to, to see those kind of things too. And I think that is a way that we can really take seriously original context. But to your point, like, yeah, that's that's what the dispensationalists now push us to, is that when we become too Christ allegorical, which, to be fair, we had become that in many ways when, when dispensationalism came along. And... Um, Although I would also say to the dispensationalists, if you read your original writers, you're going to find you do not agree a lot with the original dispensationalists. Like modern dispensationalism, um, honestly, the more extreme versions of dispensationalism are closer to the original dispensationalists. And maybe that's something you should think about. Uh, but but yeah, I think that's, a, that's enough for that, to the tribulation issue, which I think takes up the dispensationalism issue. The millennial issue is a little different because um, pre-millennial, a-millennial, post-millennial. I have been each. <laughs> I have been all three of them. And so I have things that I can praise about all three views. Uh, and by which pre-millennial, I mean I was a pre-millennial dispensationalist, as I mentioned. Like, not all pre-millennials are dispensationalists, but all dispensationalists must be pre-millennial. Yeah, in order to to fulfill their their whole covenant, their whole scheme of, and by a scheme I don't mean it in the negative way. I mean the scheme in the sense of a schematic, um, their whole um, dispensational paradigm in order to fulfill what is necessary. There, they need a millennium, a literal millennium that Christ returns before, in order to satisfy some of the prophecies that they see having yet to be fulfilled. Um. Uh, in fact, this is a question that I saw on Twitter the other day, which someone asked. So why do why are Christians crazy Jerusalem supporters? Like why are Christians Zionists? And like, well, the answer is dispensationalism. Dispensationalism right. is why we why why Christianity by and large is a, a, a supporters of Israel because they believe that in order for Christ to return, certain uh, 
prophecies concerning Israel need to be fulfilled, particularly that they have a land and a temple. And so Christians are pushing for Israelite independence and in and religious independence, even though <laughs> even though the scriptures are clear that by supporting Israel building a temple, we're supporting them in idolatry because Christ is the temple anyway. Yeah, this is, um, yeah, this is what makes me crazy about... Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a whole thing. But but to explain, like that is why Christians get so... It, like It's confusing to non-believers or, or to external uh, people why Christians get real crazy about Israel. But that's, that's a big part of it. And then it kind of just gets in the water where it becomes assumed that we support Israel. Um... And by the way, if anyone yeah. anyone from an anarchist or libertarian perspective would would ever like to do like a whole episode on spooling out um, why why Christians are so supportive of of Israel and the theological backing behind that, you're you're looking at your experts. Josh or I will make it make <laughs> uh, make come on and explain right. that because I I do I do feel like I do feel like that's that's something that d does deserve more attention and just gets kind of yes. glossed over. And, and, and often it gets painted as, um, therefore like really biblicist or really, really, or, or fundamentalist or the, the really, yeah. the really Christian Christians, <laughs> um, are really obsessed with Israel and, uh -huh. and, um, and all the Catholics and Orthodox and, and, and and reformed and you know all us people on the periphery of christianity as in the, the vast majority yeah. of christians um, <laughs> um, um and that that's often how it gets portrayed is like yeah it's like yeah the really super christian christians um yeah and 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 also like there's an extent to which like you need to understand the background before you can talk to them about israel like of course this, like that's why I sometimes will make the case. It's interesting that Scott Horton will make the case that Israel is a uh, a religious fundamental fundamentalist, whatever. Like that, it's a religious state, and and I'm like, I often make the opposite case, and I'm like, this is a secular nation. This is not the nation of Israel according to biblical standards. If Christians really believe that um, Israel as a, the nation, the historical nation of Israel needs to control Jerusalem in order for this to happen. That's not this. This isn't it. The, the Ashkenazi Jewish population are largely European. Uh, no connection. Like, well, let's not say no connection, but less connection to the historical nation of Israel than the what's called the Mitzrahi Jewish people. And largely the Ashkenazi people are in control of the political halls there and also um historical israel was a monarchy just saying um and so <laughs> we so we can't do the whole but it's the only democracy in the region and also say it's the historical nation of israel um and and also the, the yeah yeah is it's it's largely if, if you ever go to israel it is except for <laughs> except for the religious tourism aspects it's a largely secular nation right um not, and not then, unlike germany 
in that sense or <laughs> yeah yeah but um uh so but 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 anyway i've been a dispensational premillennial i've also been very briefly a historical premillennial which is i uh, which is the, it, of course that's an argu- the name is an argument in itself which is to say that we're the historical premillennialists not dispensationalists who are the new kids on the block it's an argument in itself uh but but that's what they call themselves historical that, that is true it's true <laughs> but <laughs> but but yeah like um uh and, um but but they uh so the historical premillennialist is is let's say this okay i'll say i will support i'll praise this it has the appearance of scriptural support and um if you're taking this the straight reading of 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 the book of revelation it seems to have the support and the historical premillennialists because they know they're up against it from both sides both from their fellow premillennialists and from the non-premillennialists, uh, tend to be very good at arguing their perspective. Um, I think of this one man in particular who was a part of the uh, this pastors' collective I was part of back when I lived in Su- in uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. He uh, made the case for premillennialism in a in a debate. We had a a little sort of in-house debate. It was kind of a fun thing, it, but but we made it like an official form formatted debate. And he made an extremely good case, made an amazing case for premillennialism. And it's, it's, yeah, he made the argument very well. And my praise for them is the same praise that I have for the, the dispensationalists. And that is that they take their Bible seriously. Um, a lot of times though, because it has the appearance of biblical perspective of biblical accuracy. There's also a lot of lazy people who are, premillennialists they're premillennialists just because it's like well that's what it's it's revelation jesus returns and two thousand year reign but uh but but the people who are serious about their perspective are are serious about the bible um there's just debate uh, the, the debate comes down to um if if a if revelation is cyclical and b if it is cyclical where does uh the cycle end and the new one begin. So the both the both the amillennial and the postmillennial view would disagree with the historical premillennial in saying that the cycle ends at the end of 19 and a new cycle begins at uh 20 or I guess you would say mid 20 when the millennium comes up. Um uh, postmillennials. Let me first say what I dislike about postmillennials. The fact that they are <laughs> the biggest problem I have with dispensational premillennials is that everything seems to come back to eschatology. That is also my problem with postmillennials is that <laughs> some, it, somehow everything comes back to eschatology with them. Like it seems like it, it, it seems like it seems like. Uh, a post-millennial, a, vague, a vegan, a crossfitter, and an atheist all walk into a bar, and you know that because all four of them announced it upon entry. You know, like <laughs> it's you. <laughs> it's uh, you know, a post-millennial by the fact that they can't stop talking about being post-millennial. 
However, um, I do appreciate what I do appreciate about them so much is their emphasis on the gospel changing culture. Yes. And on the intellectual tradition of Christianity. That 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 Christianity is about more than just conversions. And 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 that's a problem that I see among both amillennials and premillennials, uh, especially premillennial dispensationalists, where the whole point is get off this planet, then conversion's all that matters. Why bother changing the the culture? Because the culture's going downhill and it's gonna keep going downhill until Christ returns. Um so the only the only thing we can do convert people and that's what the gospel that's what it means to them about preaching the gospel is preach the gospel so they can be saved so that when christ returns they get off the ship um and a lot of times pre-millennials and amillennials which i'm talking about me uh, a lot of us tend to be this way as well um especially with the modern view i talked about how we this this big swing in the pendulum back to gospel centered centricity away from moralism a lot of that has to do with this fact of well the point is getting saved um but we seriously understate what salvation is salvation is more than just conversion it's more than just justification it is also sanctification if we learned more from the historical tradition of christianity we'd know that um but yeah, that's that's something that I think post millennials, especially because of their perspective of of the world gets better and better and, and Christianize. But okay, let's let's not say that. That's 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 a that's a straw man. Not better and better, straw. but but it gets Christianized, more Christianized, and more Christianized and more Christianized until we usher in the millennium. Because of that, they take intellectual tradition, the Christian intellectual tradition, and the transformation of culture very seriously. Which we can all learn from, and I think we could do a better job of in the evangelical world. Right. So, look, the the modern missions movement was mostly a postmillennial was mostly a postmillennial drive. Um, could you say that again? You kind of broke mission, up on land. Oh. Okay, oh, sorry. yeah. The modern missions movement was mostly a postmillennial drive. Yeah. The vast yeah. majority. Like you name, you name someone uh, from the 1800s who um, who had a beard before they came back, um, and and, um, and, uh, and had and had wonderfully 19th century name and went somewhere else <laughs> to spread the gospel. They were almost certainly post mill. Um, the vast majority of them were post mill. And, and in fact, it was in part the truncating of their theology in order to gain government support where they needed it. And um, newsflash, the state ruins everything. Anyway, um, <laughs> the, where they needed government support, but also where they needed financial support. Um, sometimes it was the truncating of their message to um, the spread of the gospel and the spread of the Christian intellectual tradition is going to make 
things better and better and that um, and that it's it's going to have benefits to foreign policy and to trade and to and to prosperity and to and so the truncating of that message to get government and financial support is what set up the straw man that we so easily fall into yeah. that that yeah. the gospel is just going to make everything better and better until Jesus because, comes back. Because the social gospel movement was also post-millennial. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, absolutely. A perversion of the and post-millennial view, but a post-millennial. Perversion, but, but yes, and it was, but it was for sure. Um, and so then that's why, like, if, if you've ever heard that, that, um, that uh, dispensationalism was kind of a, a reaction to a culture that was almost entirely post-millennial, and then the world wars happened, and we needed something else. Um, and by the way, yeah, yeah of course, uh, dispensationalism already was being developed before the world wars. Yeah. But it, it takes off in popularity yeah. um, because of the world wars. It's because um, that truncated version, and especially the, the heavily social gospel version of postmillennialism, did, was not compatible to the horrors of the 20th century. Um, and, and so it's, it's good that that definitely false version of postmillennialism yeah. got rooted out by yeah. reality. They um, needed to die. But, um, but that, but, and, and, but yes, there is like, if, I've said that if you hear me talking about almost anything but my millennial view, you would think I'm post mill because that triumph mm -hmm. of the gospel narrative is definitely yeah. is definitely strongly built yeah, absolutely. into my thinking on these issues. The the only difference is I don't believe any. I would say okay, the only difference between me and a post millennial is I don't believe in an earthly millennium, right. and this is. <laughs> this is the difference. This is what the millennial believes. And I guess we're getting a little ahead of ourselves because we would be talking about this in Revelation 20 in 20 years. Um, but but uh, if we got renewed for that season, <laughs> but the 20 Revelation 20, um, the belief that that the millennial has, which is my belief, is not only does the cycle restart at that part, a new cycle begins, but that. The millennium described there is not an earthly millennium, but that is a description of what is happening in heaven. This is a description of what is the state of what we call the church triumphant, which is uh, you've got the church militant, which is the church in the in the trenches in this earth. And the church triumphant is those of the church who have passed on into eternity. Um, and um. And so for, for a millennial, the millennium and the, and the, <laughs> the millennium and the tribulation are simultaneous events. The, the millennium is a description of the, of, I guess you could call it the, this is the description of the, uh, intermediate state of heaven before the resurrection, before the final resurrection, the second, the full resurrection, um, and so, uh, for the a millennial, um, one of the clear, one of the best 
one of the best uh, explanations of what's going on in the the uh, intermediate state is Revelation 20. But also, while that's going on in heaven, it, on earth, there's a tribulation going on. And I think this goes with the whole theme of the unveiling of, of, of apocalypse. Apocalypto is revealing, unveiling, revelation, reveal. Is that it's revealing that even though it may look like the church is under fire and under such duress, in reality, we are triumphant even now. Those who have died did not lose. They won. <laughs> Those who were, who were killed for their faith did not lose. They won. And that's uh, part of the revelation, I think. And so my praise for the amillennial view is, first of all, I believe it's correct. Second of all, I believe it is a... I think... For one thing, I think the amillennial view would be the view if not for the book of Revelation. If the book of Revelation didn't exist, we would have never even thought of this thing of a millennium. We would have only known the the gospel marches on, sometimes in sometimes it wins, sometimes it loses, sometimes it, it experiences time of peace, oftentimes it can experience times of tribulation. Um, this is what happens, and then the, the the believer who dies for this faith, although it looks like he lost in this life, he really won because he won victory in eternity. And so the amillennial, I think more than, uh, more than any other view, um, is able to widen the conversation on eschatology beyond revelation. Um, post-millennials are sometimes in that camp dispensationalists will sometimes jump out of revelation to take a walk through the Thessalonian letters but but and, the and Romans 11 and Romans 11 um, but the the amillennial looks at eschatology and says more than the events of the end times eschatology is something that we experience all around us the already and not yet view was a a millennial um an a millennial discovery like a millennials are largely to to thank for the discovery of the already not yet distinction uh, uh of the new testament eschatology that there are things about the end times that have already come to be and it was very easy for an amillennial to see this because it is essential to our viewpoint is that we live in this tension of we are in we are in everywhere we walk we walk in the kingdom of god we walk in the kingdom of heaven where my footsteps that is the step of the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of god i live in this I live in the world of the kingdom of God, and yet I also walk in the kingdom of this world. When I talk to my unbelieving neighbor, I am, I am interacting with the kingdom of this world. Um, when I when I get sick, and when, or when my, well, let's get when my sister gets sick, that is the kingdom of this world having an effect on members of the kingdom of God. Um, we live in this tension of the already not yet and that is um, one of my favorite things about the amillennial perspective is that we really really live in that tension we and that's why sometimes it's called eschatological realism it's neither optimistic nor pessimistic it's just realistic we 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 live in 
times of triumph and times of tribulation and sometimes and oftentimes intermixed and the i feel like the amillennial viewpoint really lives in that tension although i would say that you know the one the one lack of balance that i think i do see uh among amillennial people is, of which i am one is the lack of confidence in the supremacy of the gospel the lack sure. of confidence sure. in yeah. the so that's why i say like I'd sound post mill to you unless we're actually talking about the millennium, right? Is because, um, and 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 that's what I mean by that is so often, um, so often, our perspective um, is is lacking that idea that those heavenly scenes in Revelation are more real <laughs> in a certain sense than the earthly scenes and and that um and that the um thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven is is a prayer that we're asked to pray because by the ruler of all time because he knows it's going to happen yeah. <laughs> that, that that his kingdom is coming his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven it's not working the other way around yeah. earth is not earth is, is is not polluting heaven and can't mm -hmm. it is only happening one way where yeah. where yeah earth is becoming more and more yeah. heaven-like and 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 that is hard to see sometimes that's why i'm on yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. if it were if it if it were easy to see all the time then i i think i'd be post mill <laughs> but mm -hmm. i'm on mill because that is hard to see sometimes sometimes you can't mm -hmm. tell but you have to believe that it is more true than what you're seeing we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is on what is unseen for what is seen is temporary what mm -hmm. is unseen is eternal um yeah and, and and i'll say sorry go on nope that way i think i was done i also add one more thing also <laughs> uh if you look at the greek once again making a case for greek uh the sentence construction of let your will be done let your kingdom come is the same exact construction of the first phrase uh let be sanctified the name of you let be sanctified your name it says let be sanctified your name let be let come your kingdom let be done your will and so i think all three of those phrases are uh, <clears throat> are uh modified by on earth as it is in heaven and so also his name is sanctified in heaven where the angels cry holy 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 and the 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 dead saints sing worthy is the lamb who was slain his name is sanctified, and we are learning to sanctify him by joining the voice of heaven. Spoiler alert for seasons four and five. <laughs> yes, and that's and I think um, and I, that's where I agree, I, th I think I agree. That is something one of the great things that I appreciate about our postmillennial brothers is this, because of their viewpoint on the millennium, which I don't believe is correct. 
they do have a strong emphasis that I do believe is correct on the Christianization of culture, on the Christian intellectual tradition going beyond merely salvation and merely what happens in the church building. And I think we um, ignore their emphases to our detriment because I think I'm seeing a lot of a lot of pre-mill and a-mill types from around the gospel-centered reformed-ish universe who are almost celebrating the coming of of um the coming of persecution because they're like and and, the, and they're celebrating honestly this has kind of become frustrating to me the celebration of the post-Christian world because like, oh good, so we're no longer going to be f surrounded by hypocrites. Yeah, but we're also not going to see flourishing of Christian doctrine. I'm sorry, like, like I would rather have to evangelize hypocrites in my church than see, like, do, like, do people really realize what happens in, 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 in times of, of tribulation, of, of persecution? We don't get to spend time studying the depths of who God is. We don't get, a, we don't get to study God's character in depth, and we don't get to gather for, for conversations with believers on the depths of God's character. We have to we have to hold on to the bare minimum. Listen, read um, Tortured for Christ um, by Richard Vermbrand, where he talks about how in his in in the underground church, they didn't have time to talk about deep theological stuff. And he talks about how you need to forgive some of those who lived in those worlds for not having the the sound correct verbalization of the doctrine that we do because they don't have time to spend to think about it now he he joins i think our friends in wrongly saying therefore his situation was preferable to ours but i but 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 i see the tragedy in that and to say like so you can't you can't spend time studying the 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 history of the church and the church tradition, the beautiful tradition of our church of, of discussions and debates that happened around. Like we talked about in the last episode, I think um, the last episode of the episode before talking about how great and so wonderful it is to sink your teeth into the doctrine of the Trinity and to sink your teeth into the doctrine of the incarnation, how deep uh, of a well that is to mix my metaphors, like to, to drink from uh, those those deep wells, uh, both of biblical explanation and discussion and also historical tradition of discussion on the subject. If we are persecuted, we can't do that. And do we well, really and, think that that's a positive? And look, all your great confessions of the faith were not written under persecution. Right. Basically by definition, right? <laughs> so, so... Um, Arguably the 1689, but we also were reading the 1646, sorry, 1646's notes. <laughs> um, sorry, yeah. It's, well, it's I mean, whenever like, the Congregationalists wrote their Savoy, I don't remember the name. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah the Savoy Declaration, yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and, um, and, and, and yes, even that, so it's we call it the 1689 because 1689 was 
the act of toleration <laughs> when uh -huh. it was allowed to be published after all so yes. so sure it, it can be written it can be written but not even disseminated really yeah. um, <laughs> under those circumstances and mm -hmm. and uh um and and look like all this study that we're talking about about finding these links between daniel and revelation and and uh um, oh. and all these uh uh and and this uh these uh these links between um the the imperial literature that that paul would have been familiar with and and his use of the yeah. uh, of the his discussion of the parousia like none of that happens under persecution these yeah. every, everything we can talk about in this bible study essentially mm -hmm. could not have been produced under yeah. situations of persecution because you need open cooperation between Christians who know different things for those things to and and they don't usually live in the same tunnel where they're having yes. the worship service <laughs> and I can already hear the objection of like yes but the book of Revelation was written under persecution and like yes but because he had time of peace before then to study the Jewish scriptures and probably after <laughs> yes <laughs> yes, like because he had time to study the Jewish scriptures from his right. youth in times of peace. And so, yeah. yes, yeah, but God gave him times of peace in order to do it. And also the gospel spread under the protection of the Roman government against Jewish, Jewish persecution at first. Jesus, Jesus had to come under this Pax Romana. It, yes. Like... If you if you think about what God intended to be accomplished, not only the crucifixion, which yeah. is obviously important too, but um, but uh, if you if you think about what God intended to accomplish um, after the ascension of our Lord um, with the spread of the gospel, that could have only been possible during this during this Pax Romana, and mm -hmm. uh, and. Uh, Augustine, even as that empire was crumbling, mm -hmm. yeah, could have only been possible, <laughs> and and then and then it took almost six hundred years to get someone on that same level of mm -hmm. uh, of of biblical analysis, yeah. um, and and you could argue you could argue even that that uh, yeah. so and and do you like you look to the martyrdom phase of the Christian Church and. There is like the, the period where there was widespread martyrdom and you see also widespread biblical let's just say questionable exegesis and questionable uh theological uh, like there was yes there was martyrdom and there were brave Christians who endured persecution there were also Christians in a fit of wild zealousy who threw themselves into the fires and that's yeah. not healthy either that's not healthy theology either like that's let, let's call it what it is we can respect the tradition and also say that's not healthy well, like and then if we, we saw that in our own day we can see that go the other way with the the hidden christians in japan where mm. um where where they well as the name indicates, they were hidden, and yeah, and they yeah, and 
Um, and which and which they, I they, which I came to be aware of these uh, thanks to the uh, Bible the uh, the uh, oh my goodness the church history uh, trivia night <laughs> the church history trivia night on uh, restored thoughts uh, YouTube channel revive, go check it out revive thoughts revive. revive thoughts yes which I started listening to their podcast very good stuff very good stuff yeah yeah great great stuff um as as you now know then um that was not how i learned about the hidden christians because i knew that answer um, well done but, well done <laughs> but uh, um, um but uh uh yeah so the um and and so they mentioned on the church history trivia night that they um that they came out of that period with <laughs> some really wild yeah and unorthodox beliefs where we, where you had this syncretism with ancestor worship and, yes and, and yes. syncretism with with what we would call um uh what we would call um shinto 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 uh, yeah well we would call shinto religion um they yeah. probably didn't think of it as a religion they probably thought of it as just Japanese culture, but this yeah, is the yeah. thing: is when you don't have this open exchange between yes. people of different cultures. And by the way, you yeah. know, like everyone listening knows this because you know the value of hearing from people from different cultures and how it yeah. it wakes you up to where uh, where you might have a blinkered view. Um, yeah. And and so and and so you you might not even appreciate how much because you take it so for granted. That yes. that there are Christians who aren't Iowans who can tell you, um, you know, and um, uh, and so yeah. Uh, Even though we are closer other, to heaven, there's your a other vassal about states, it. your other vassal states also have Christianity in them. Yeah, and yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> um, and so so yeah. The um, uh, so absolutely like the. It it sounds really pious to yeah. say, um, oh, if we just if we just had some real persecution, the church would really grow. And and by the way, I believe that's true. And I and I but and then we would have a lot of bad thinking and then to and, fix and at then, the end of it. And then we would have to recover. And then yes. we would have to rebuild. Um, yes. And um, for one thing, our ecclesiology you can't have a you can't have an ecclesiology. That is of in any way thought out and structured. If you are by, if you are by definition on the run and underground, you can't build structures about that. I mean, especially if you're not a congregational polity, by the way. But <laughs> um, uh, like, but even even us congreg even us congregationalists, like yeah. we still believe that there is there's there's structure, there's eldership, there's deacon. Yeah deacons there's there's covenanting membership there's all this stuff we can't do that right. when we're on the run and also persecuted christians cannot distinguish between falsehood and truth because we have to sort of hang together or we hang separately like we can't like that we can't have debates about uh whether or not predestination is biblical uh because we can't we just can't we can't separate and so there's a lot of discussions that go undiscussed because of the hang together, hang separately mentality. Like, like you said, it sounds really pious yeah, and there's the most important, the most important doctrinal qualification to be a member of your church suddenly becomes, are you going to rat me out to the authorities? Right. Are you willing <laughs> to die for this? Which by the right. way, 
it's good. It's a good thing to ask. Like it's probably Absolutely. a good thing to ask. Like we should we should always be asking the question: Are we willing to die for this? Like I, I think that's something. Like I'm not going so far as to say that the martyrs have no t- educational value to the modern church. We should look to martyrs and say, "Hey, they remind us to ask the question: Are you willing to die for this?" And yet we should be, like you said, it sounds pious. It sounds and even there there even seems to be a a logic to it. Like, and I, and I, and I understand that because I used to say similar things. I used to say, Hey, this is good. Post Christendom is good because, uh, now I know who the unbelievers are. I used to have to guess about who the non-believers are, but honestly it, it create, first of all, it, it numbs us to the fact that there are still unbelievers in our pews. Of course. And second of all, we have, we are already seeing the benefits of Christendom going away. And that is, the people in our pews are becoming more and more biblically illiterate by the year. By the year. Like, it is... It is. I was raised in the church, and there were people older than me who had... I'm sorry. I would argue they might be hypocrites. They, and, and by the way, hypocrite, we don't mean, we mean the classical definition. We don't mean they say something and do another. That's just called being a human. Hypocrite means to say you believe something that you don't really believe. That's what the classical understanding of hypocrite means. There were, there were people in my church who were hypocrites. I believe, I don't believe they were saved. Um, I pray that they became saved, but they knew the Bible better than me. Because they were raised in a biblical culture, in a culture where it was sur- where it was so, they were so saturated with Bible that they had to know it. And I grew up having to be intentional about knowing the Bible. And yet, there were still biblical references that I would see, like you would hear Proverbs quoted on TV. You would see people quoting Scripture badly on TV, but at least you knew the Bible. At least you knew that what the right. word what said, and. And the people in like students that I work with now are so incredibly biblically illiterate. It's not just because they haven't read it. It's because they're not surrounded by it in the same way that I was. And I was already living in a pretty post-Christian society when I grew up. And yet there were still the vestiges of it all over. There were still the vestiges of scripture in our music. There were still the vestiges of scripture in our language, in our talk, in, our, in, in what we would say about what we uh, what we expect and what we want and what we desire. And so, um, and so like that there's proof in itself is that people do not know the Bible anymore. And that is terrifying because this is the word of truth. This is the way that you are to learn how to engage the culture. We need to be intentional about biblical study because it's not natural. And I'm sorry, that is a good thing. That is a good thing that, that it's natural if it's surrounding you. Living in a culture that is so biblically infused that even the non-believers talk about the Bible is a good thing. Absolutely. And 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 if and also like the people who say well, we we can't just assume that everyone's Christian anymore. No one ever did. You you read the Puritans, they didn't. You, you know what's you you read the stories of Puritans and you find example after example after example of people going to seminary and becoming saved. And they're sure that that's what happened. That they went to seminary and they had a conversion experience. The difference is the was the difference is and I think we could handle this too. 
In the Christendom society, they raise the bar on what conversion means to, I believe, a biblical level. That conversion is what happens. It's more than just signing a piece of paper, more than just praying a prayer, more than just uh, more than just showing up and saying, hey, I like this Jesus guy. He seems interesting to me. It was about a deep recognition of your sin, a deep appreciation of Christ's Mer- the mercy of God in Christ. It was a deeply, and so this is, oh my goodness, we were talking about this beforehand. When people think of Puritans as these fun hating whatevers, you read the Puritans and they understood that conversion was a deep emotional experience. It was so much deeper than just raising your hand. It was like, I, they're like, I, I had a moment where I saw the depth of my depravity and my sin and I saw how, how, soiled and and how offensive my sin was in the eyes of God and in that same moment I looked to Christ and I saw a God who is loving and merciful and who was reaching out for me to come to him and I was transformed in the moment in a way that I could not ever that I can that that I I was never the same and we think by raising your hand in a church service yeah it's about the same thing and it's just right. it's it's so much deeper. Um, one of the since since it's um, recommend books that we get nothing if people buy um, night even more than it was uh, two weeks ago. Um, <laughs> um, the uh, um, revival and revivalism uh, by uh, Ian Murray was yeah. one of the most influential books on me, um, where it 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 prepared me for. Uh, the doctrines of grace, or becoming a, a Calvinist or Reformed, before before I before I knew exactly what that was, or before the 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 biblical weight um, that that historical survey, I didn't know I didn't know that was the difference. I but I came away from that book going, oh, the first Great Awakening was real, and the second yes. Great Awakening was not, um, mm-hmm. and. Um, um, and it, and yeah. the second great awakening had profoundly deleterious effects on American and Canadian culture. Um, because the first and, great awakening was Puritan. Correct. That's even, yeah, sorry, even that, Wesley, that's why, even, that's why even John Wesley. Yeah. Yes. Even John Wesley, who was, yeah. uh, not reformed in his soteriology was still, very puritan yeah 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 exactly so um here's the thing you need to here's the thing there's a lot of people saying things about puritans today especially in the reformed not the reform uh in the libertarian world and um i think we need to read less about the puritans and more of the puritans themselves and you'll find how wrong the popular conception of Puritanism is. It is not a fun hating. It's not as some people say the, uh, the, the fear that someone somewhere is having a good time. You read the actual Puritans like Jonathan Edwards, like John Owen, like, uh, George, George Whitfield. And you find these deeply passionate, joyful people whose central, 
concern is do you see Christ as not true, not as actual, not as savior, as beautiful. That was Jonathan Edwards' whole emphasis. Do you see Christ as beautiful? Supremely not, satisfying. Supremely as, satisfying. Yeah. Supreme, absolutely. The the Puritans are the ones <clears throat> the Puritans are the ones who wrote the Westminster Confessions of Faith. Those were Puritans who said man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Enjoy him. Say it's more it's and, about more than just facts. It's about enjoying him. And and they did say and not yet. They did say <laughs> and not but. They, this is not a disjunctive yes. and. <laughs> yes. They they are seeing those as being part and parcel of the same thing. You as so as John Piper, Piper so Piper so importantly as so importantly points out, it is a single end, one purpose: glorify yes. and enjoy. Yes. So, and, 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 and so he helpfully for modern ears rephrases that to glorify God by enjoying mm. him forever, which, 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 um, is, uh, is also accurate, but, but yeah, it is one chief yeah. end to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Yes. Um, and, uh, and, and so that was the, the Puritans that, and those were, those were, those were Puritans mm. and, and they, um, so always stay thirsty for the fount, my friends. Like yes. The the the, the reformation. <laughs> the reformation was part of um, a, a a broader intellectual tradition that wanted to go back to the sources because so many. Um, so many of the assumptions about the way the world worked, um, people were coming to realize were uh, were based on forgeries or based on <laughs> based on mistranslations or based on misreadings or misapplications or uh, and, or a complete failure to read the original at all and just take someone else's word for it, like we and, have here. Right, and 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 so the uh, the Reformation itself was was part of a broader intellectual movement to run back to the sources ad fontes, um, and and to um, uh, and to actually read it for what it says, and um, and if you get nothing else from us <laughs> that is what i hope you get is that is that uh um never um never settle for you know the the parody although it's not really a parody because it actually happened like the scholasticism that had been in vogue uh prior prior to the reformation was you write a commentary on a commentary on a commentary on a commentary of a book called the sentences which was itself a commentary um right and 
Um, and and so, in a sense, the the uh, the Reformation was was uh, just a radical rediscovery of the original sources and mm-hmm. um and and to the point that by the way um even if you are a catholic or orthodox today um you have benefited from that part of the reformation as mm-hmm. no one has um uh no one no one has been left as they were before <laughs> before that affected the reformation so 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 even even catholics and even orthodox um who um who think they stayed away from from all of these innovations <laughs> um uh uh after the after the schism and the reformation is no you 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 live in the world of the reformation that recovered uh, recovered these things so that um, so that now it it doesn't even th- that distinction doesn't even really just belong to yeah. us. I mean, I think I still think that we've done it better, of course, but um, but the, but uh, that distinction of having gone back to the sources is mm-hmm. something, um, uh, and especially back to the scriptures is something that everyone has had to do, um, mm-hmm. which is why like you know, you you look at all the best. All the best Catholic apologists were people who were um, re- went to, were reformed uh, or or came up in that uh, stream first. Mm-hmm. And there are probably a couple exceptions, but the vast majority of them uh, came out of that stream first, and that's mm-hmm. and and that's what made them very talented um, Catholic apologists. So, yeah. So this was a super long digression <laughs> response that was a long digression on the puritan digression on the millennial on digression the, and, on and the so. answer to a question uh that we might be excerpting for a bonus episode I, so so yeah this might be this might be an episode <laughs> a, a we answer yes. patrick we answer Patrick's question and then kind of <laughs> do our own thing um and then uh so, and then we might yeah. record another one tonight. Uh, yep. <laughs> so if you're, yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll see how long this this uh, response to this video goes. Um. Uh. So if you're abruptly dropping in right here and you're like, wait a minute, was there uh, stuff in between there? Yep. Uh, you'll be seeing a bonus episode tomorrow. Um. <laughs> but uh, we'll see. Um. But let's get to that video. Let's uh. <laughs> Let's let's do what we were what we're here to do. In case this is a new episode, I'm Jeff, aka the skeptic of the skeptic. <laughs> I gave a new aka just in case. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> how am I gonna do this? My goodness, I. Uh... And just in case this is a new episode, we need to complain about Randy. You need to get the email wrong. oh let's go screen scene two there we go 
All right, let me let me just move my stuff around. Um, so as you can already see, this is going to be fun. Uh, we're we're looking at some pretty crazy art. So we're we're looking at an older video. Uh, let's let's be fair to the person we're responding to and acknowledge yeah. that. This is an older video. Um, uh, but it's <laughs> we're, uh, well. Um, it's called Skeptic Bible Study, which comes from a larger from a channel. What is the channel called? Let me let me. Uh, uh the Skeptic. Oh, Deist Paladin. Interesting. Oh, that's um, not Dice Padawan. I thought maybe he was uh, learning from uh, Jeff Dice. No. Well, it'd be better if he did. Um, <laughs> but uh, we're looking at some. Uh, you can see some of the art here. Oh, my 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 cursor isn't on, but you can see like some uh, various uh, types of um, religious symbology around the Bible. So you've got kind of this idea that uh, I, I assume he studies the Bible um, as a skeptic or as someone who doesn't believe the Bible. And uh, it seems like he also is going to approach other religions from that same sort of perspective. Um, I would assume. But uh, what we're what we're getting into is a skeptical reading of the Bible. So someone who's coming at it from a... Um, not ex not expecting to agree with it. That seems like enough prologue. Um, <laughs> so let's and see what we got here. A, he would call himself a deist, but his his arguments would overlap more with an atheist or an agnostics set of arguments than they should for someone calling themselves a deist. Let's say. Sure, <laughs> sure, 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 sure. And, and, and to be clear, deist, what deist means is that oh, there's someone right. who believes in a God who created the world, but doesn't interact with the world. Largely, that's, that's largely what they would say, is that the deist set up the world, that they, they'll see evidence that there must be a, a God or a creator, and yet they would call him like the, the, the perfect watchmaker who created a watch that continues to work long after they've left it. Um, Anywho, let's uh, let's get into so, this. So, so a God, but no Jesus, no Bible. Oh, right, um, right, right. Because this God would not speak. No, no miracles. Yeah. All right. So let's let's see what this person has to say. Ooh. Oh. Hopefully we don't get a copyright strike for this. <laughs> Did you see that? Oh, let's do that again. Ooh, 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 ooh. See where it falls away? Some really nice classical music. Copyright strike YouTube. <laughs> Skeptic Seminary. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. And My gosh, this is the best of uh, early 2000s technology on display right here. We've got like some some high quality fall away, some 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 shuddering. My goodness, uh, honestly, if we could do something like this, it would probably be impressive. 
Um, as it is, we're we're still dealing later. with. <laughs> yeah, we're still dealing with late '90s technology. Um, <laughs> let's see what we got here. Well, he's about to get into his argument or his intro. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of Skeptic Bible Study. In this session, we're going to focus on some of the political implications of Christianity through history. Christian apologists like to sometimes claim that Christian values help to foster a love of freedom and democracy. As one example, Josh McDowell... I would never say such a thing, and I'm offended that you would, ex you would say it. How dare you? Love of democracy? I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> no, okay, but but um, Jeff was telling me before the show that, that is going to be a trigger uh, for me. <laughs> there is clearly this guy uh, takes uh, democracy and love of tradition or love of liberty as, as equivalent. Um, obviously that argument is not going to do great for us, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see what he has to say. Okay. He's about to open Josh McDowell, uh, which, which also tells me that he really, uh, for, let's just say, uh, Patrick would probably not be a person that he would read. Uh, he's probably talking, he's, he's interacting with evidentialists, which love those evidentialists, but they are not the only apologists out there. However, oh. And Josh and Josh McDowell, like I, 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 am sure that at some point I benefited. Well, I read, I read a lot of what he wrote when I was a kid, and uh, um, and I'm sure I benefited, uh, and I'm sure I benefited from it. Um, but he is certainly at a very popular level. He is not. He is. He is not trying to make. I, I think he would have even admitted that he's not trying to make the absolute best arguments for each of his positions. He's trying to make yes um, the arguments that a reasonably smart 12-year-old Christian homeschooler can retain and yeah. regurgitate the best. Um, and or as we, having, or, been that, having been that 12-year-old Christian homeschooler, yeah. I appreciated it, but... <laughs> Or even public schoolers of a previous generation. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but but also but yeah like uh, I'll just say this okay so let we got into this a little bit on the Cave to the Cross uh, interview he is what's called a presuppositionalist um uh he's what's called a presuppositionalist and there's I would say a continuum on presuppositionalists um for instance you've got like I, I've I've more interacted with the 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 Clarkian presuppositionalists, what they call themselves okay. scripturalists. I've interacted a lot with them. Those have been kind of the, the people who I've interacted with, but you also got the Ventilian presuppositionalists. And even within that, there's a continuum. I would say um, those who appreciate classicalists and evidentialists and those who see no use for it. Um, uh, Patrick, I don't think I'm misrepresenting him. And his uh, partner over at Cave to the Cross. I, I don't think I'm misrepresenting them because they have a lot of evidentialists and classicalists uh, on their podcast, and they, they interact with their stuff. Um, would be on the side to say we can still find appreciation for the people who look for evidence of God in the created order, and for those who seek to make a argument from 
what we what what they would call natural theology, or we might just call evident reason. Um, to use to borrow a, a phrase from Luther, um, that just reason and like that 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 those might be useful, and yet ultimately the best arguments are going to get to your presupposition. That would be kind of more my approach, and I am speaking as much like a layman as I possibly can. Uh, I cannot emphasize enough how much I am a layman when it comes to this. I, <laughs> the, my, my, uh, my skill in apologetics is purely watching cave to the cross apologetics, which you should watch too. And, uh, James White's dividing line. That's all I, that's all I know about apologetics. I've not studied it. I don't practice it. I, I am more of a, what you call a systematician and a exegete than a apologist. Um, but, but those are kind of the general dis distinctions and, uh, Patrick's in the chat and he says, absolutely spot on presuppositionalists. Presuppositionalists are the best evidentialists. We just start with God first. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. so he agrees with me. And also I'm sure he agrees with me that you should watch cave to the cross apologetics. <laughs> Did you have more to say or I'm going to hit play again? Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that, uh, I think the uh, criticisms he's going to make of of Josh McDowell aren't aren't the most fair. But also, um, if he was if he was trying to deal with the absolute best that we have to offer, I, I you don't go to yeah. Josh McDowell. As useful as Josh yeah. McDowell might be yes. to some people, um, yeah. That that yeah. Uh, virtually no virtually no Christian is going to is going to tell you yes. Oh, well, Josh McDowell's the best we have to offer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay, so it's like as as a pastor, it might make sense for me to deal with um popular uh popular health and wealth people. Sure. Um and yet, if I'm going to be honest as if I was going to write a a book on the health and wealth movement, I'm not going to quote Joel Osteen. Sure. I'm I'm going to look for the scholars that you know and I know I I even shudder a little bit saying the words scholar about that. But I'm but I'm, I am I'm going to look for the best. I'm going to look for the people who have the most uh reasoned arguments and who you know but yes, so so yes, like to 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 your point, even if Joel Osteen does re accurately represent the health and wealth movement i'm going to look to more of their scholars in critiquing them hey guys josh aka iowa cap here bringing this episode to a close we went a little long recording this and in fact we have not even gotten to the substance of the video uh, but we will uh next week so come back next week and we are going to get into this video and i think uh it will be entertaining and informative so Come back next week as we dig into uh, this video. Thanks for watching. Grace and peace. But I do appreciate that that they do not. Um, they. Uh, I've got I've got visitors. Sorry, guys. Sorry. <laughs> Come here, bud. Good night. Uh, hi.
This is this is Bye. my buddy. My my buddy Xander. Sorry about that. I thought they were going to bed already. Uh, <laughs> okay, you gotta go, buddy. We're, we're recording. Bye. So I'm gonna edit that out of the final See product. Man. See you later, man. <laughs> See you later. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, that's that's my second child, uh, Xander. He's great. Uh, I don't know where I left off. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to take a run at it. Um, uh, I was raised uh, dispensational, and so I, I appreciate the, the, the seriousness about the words of Scripture. Um, uh, <laughs> I might just have to call that one uh, <laughs> call that one quits. I don't have anything else to say. But <laughs>